Psalm 63, and this is what the Word of God says. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is buried on life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Praise be to God for the reading of his word. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, as we pray, as we worship you today, may we cherish and submit to the truth of your word. May you open our eyes to behold the wonderful things out of your law. May we look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and fill us with your spirit that we may comprehend and understand your truth. God, I pray that the power of your spirit will convict us. That may our hearts and mind be focused to the things of your word. May you remove any distractions that we may have at this time. May we truly focus at this very hour, Lord, in worshiping you in spirit and truth. I pray, Father, you bless, that you would encourage, that you would strengthen your people as we look to you. God, we thank you for this past week that you have given us. We face a new month of uncertainties. But we know, Father, that we have a sovereign God who is in control of all things. We do ask that you would forgive us of our sins. Sins that we have committed knowingly and unknowingly. We thank you that our sins are forgiven as far as the East is from the West. That the finished work of our Savior Jesus Christ has been done and completed. It is finished. So we stand confident, confident in, in, in the precious Savior work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. No. Father, I pray that you would enlighten, that you would encourage those who are weary at this very time. We are grateful, Father, for your faithfulness. And we look forward, Father, for what you have in store at this very hour. We pray for all those things. In the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And I want to start with this question. And if you're taking note, 
this very question is this is your heart in love with God is your heart in love with God I'm not asking that you're in love with your wife or with your husband or with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend or with your children or with your parents I'm asking you this very question this profound question is your heart in love with God that may be the most important question I could ask you yet I'm concerned that even for many professing Christians words like love affection and longing do not describe our relationship with God I'm concerned that many people in the church have faith in God but for a variety of reasons they lack feeling for God we may believe in God's love in our heads but a passion for God is missing in our hearts we don't want to miss out the satisfaction God has designed in us or for us in our daily relationship with Him there are three types of people in any Christian gathering number one there are those who are Christians in name only they seem to be following after God and Jesus Christ and say that they are but theirs is a false following like that of the five foolish virgins in Matthew chapter 25 verses 1 through 13 who did not truly know the Lord and were rejected by Jesus Christ himself the second class are those who are following Jesus but are following at a distance like Apostle Peter at the time of Jesus arrest in John chapter 18 starting in verse 15 and 18 the third type are those who are someone suggests in storm and sunshine cleave to him and enjoy daily communion with him these people want God and they want him intensely because they know that he alone will satisfy the deep longing of their souls David was a person who desired God above everything else and Psalm chapter 63 is a classic expression of this longing and that is my point for us this afternoon it is that longing that desire in our relationship with God the title of Psalm 63 identifies it as a Psalm of David if you have a heading in your Bible there in Psalm 63 you'll notice at the very top a Psalm of David it indicates that it was written when he was in the desert of Judah or wilderness of Judah this Psalm was most likely written in response to King David's flight from his son Absalom so I want you to turn your Bible to the book of Samuel chapter uh, chapter 15 as you're turning your Bible there the last couple of days I've been sending you text messages in regards to just encouraging you I hope that you are responding to the text messages that I'm I'm having you do you know one thing about coming to church is really preparing our hearts on Friday Saturday and when we're ready 
we're, we'll be attentive. Whatever distractions may come, we're ready to receive what God has in, in store for us. And so I texted you the outline, I texted you the, um, uh, the, the setting of this book. I hope that two or three chapters, uh, you took time to read it because it's so important for us when we come in here and, and hearing God's word, we need to be ready, amen? I understand all the other distractions, but again, if your heart is in tune to hear God, you will ready yourself. As if like when you go to work on Monday morning, what do you do? Why are you already thinking, what am I going to wear? Right? What am I going to bring for lunch? Or snacks in that matter? So I really want to encourage you as much as I can in a weekly basis to text you what the title is, what the passage is, and, and so that really gives you on Monday or Tuesday, like, you know what, I want to meditate on this. I want to pray over this for my own heart. And that's the very reason that I'm encouraging you. So, here in, in, in the setting, the background of this psalm, if you read, read me in 2 Samuel chapter 15, listen to this. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel. Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land, and every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did all to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. And who is that king? David. So Absalom stole the hearers, uh, uh, stole the hearts of the man of Israel. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I live at Geshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went to went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices he sent for Atipophel, the Golanite, David's counselor from his, from his city, uh, Gilo, and, and the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. What I want you to see as we stop there, but I want to encourage you, if you have not read the, the two or three chapters of 15, 16, 17, I want to encourage you to really take time and really see. It, 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 like I said, it's like a, a scene in a movie. And, and you'll see the progression of, of what Absalom did to his father. And so here, 
again, we see this, Absalom was isolated from his father. He felt that David had mistreated him. We know for sure that David was in a wilderness, both physically and spiritually. Physically, he was on the run with his life and his kingdom in danger. Now, he's far away from his, from his tent, as we have seen in Psalm 61, the, the tabernacle. He, he, David talks about those who intend to destroy my life in verse 9. While claiming that he will bless God as long as I live in verse 4, spiritually, David was separated from the temple in Jerusalem. And that's also important for you to recognize in regards to this setting and this context. Because this temple in Jerusalem, the place where God's glory dwelled among his people. See, this is an important place for David and, and the people of Israel to come and worship. Yes, God is everywhere, but this is the place where they gather to commune with God. So David missed being in the midst of God's people and even worship. We have much to learn from David's longing, or we might even say obsession for God. You see, the longing for God expressed here is similar to that in some of the Psalms, Psalms of Korah, when you read Psalms 42, Psalms 43, and even chapter 84. It has that longing and expression, uh, as we see, as the deer pants for water. You have that relation here. Psalm chapter 63 is similar in tone to Psalm 61 and 62, and even 64. Which means that the historical setting of those Psalms might also be the period of which David ran from Absalom. So one thing I want us to see is this, church, that David thirsts for God. David longs for God. He, he looks for God. So David knows his soul. Any soul can any only truly be satisfied in the Lord God. And Augustine once said, this part is made us for himself to, to long for God, to look for God. God made us for himself. And one thing I want us to see within this context is this, in how David wrote this, chap this chapter as well as the other chapters to recognize his wilderness experience. See, one thing that you need to recognize that David did not write this while he was in the palace watching over who? Who, who am I talking to? Right? Bathsheba. Right? So he, he didn't write this as like, Lord, I long for you. No. When he was at the top of, the, of his palace, church, he was lusting after that woman. But I want you to understand this, this, this wilderness experience that, King, that, that David was. Because at times, when, when we are in our own wilderness experience, in our trials, in our difficulties, what an amazing time we can write such, amen? Where we, where, where we desire God, where we look for God, where we long for God. As we have said in Psalm 61, remember, we are not, instead of running from God, we're running towards God. You see, yes, we, we could see this, this setting, 
But I want us to see our own wilderness experience and where we are and how we can long for God, not just in our difficult times, not just in, our, in the time of affliction, but even in our good times. Amen? Right? I'm not sure where you are in your walk with God, in your relationship with God. When I ask that very question, how is your love for God at this time? Do you find yourself not moving at all? You, you're just right in the, in, the, in the middle line. Or at times maybe you're up and down, you're up and down. But you probably, some, you're plateaued. It, it's really important for us to recognize where we are in our walk with God at this very moment. In regards to our priority in life. The first thing I want us to look at in verse 1 and 2 is this. As we go back to Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. So first thing first is this longing for God. David is in the desert of Judah, one of the most barren regions on earth and he uses that as a poetic background for his condition apart from God. He, he has been driven from Jer Jerusalem where God was present in his sanctuary where he regularly worship and behold God's glory. He sees himself now as thirsting for God as a man might thirst in the desert where there is no water. And as longing physically for God as a traveler through such hostile country might long for the rest. And you'll see that here in, in, in 2 Samuel 15, 16, and 17 in how he had to run away from his own son. And how he went to a cave and, and went through a wilderness. And so he's longing for God in the midst of the situation that he finds himself in. In verse 1, I want us to see Seek God earnestly. Seek God earnestly. David begins when, with an emphatic declaration of his covenantal relationship with God. Literally, oh God, my God. See, it's important for him to cry out. Oh God, my God. So there's that relationship. You can't just cry out to God, you got to cry out to Him because you have that covenant relationship. So that's important for us to recognize. So the name for God here, Elohim, dominates chapter 42 all the way to chapter 83, causing this section of Psalms to be called Elohistic Psalter. The repetition of the word God in this verse is virtually equivalent to the covenant name for God, Yahweh or Jehovah. The second thing I want us to see in verse 1 is this. Seek. Oh God, I earnestly I seek you. It is an unusual verb that is translated to the Hebrew noun for dawn. And it can be translated two ways. Either to seek early or to seek earnestly. So that's important for us to recognize, right? It is to seek early or to seek earnestly, right? The point is the, the desire, 
or the desire of a regular, early, daily longing after God. Those who seek God earnestly will seek Him when? Early. Eagerly they will search and seek out the Lord as, the, as they start each day. Maybe you're like, Pastor, I'm not a morning person, so you know what? I, have a, I struggle with waking up early in the morning or 4, 5, 6, 7 o'clock. It's not early anymore. Maybe for you, right? But I want us to see here, church, that you have this eagerness. of You have this longing and you have this desire. You have this earnestness of seeking God. You, you dare not walk out, out of your bedroom without awareness of His presence. Amen? I mean, I was watching um, my mother-in-law's um, auntie who recently passed away at the age of 90. I was watching this tribute, a, a video tribute about her. And she commented in, in that video, right? Uh, uh, if there's anything out of that, I don't know how long the video was, 7-10 minutes of that video. One thing that really stuck to my head when I was watching this 90-year-old woman, she said that, I smile at God in the morning. I have my communion with God in the morning. That was a great, great encouragement to me. As I was preparing this sermon, as I'm waking up early in the morning, like to think this, this woman at the age of 90 when she got converted, she would smile at God and commune and, and read God's word before she starts her day. My question to you, church, we can look at that example. Dying at the age of 90, being in the presence of God. Do you have that desire for God? Maybe probably some of you say, you know what, I don't know. But do you want to? Are you willing to develop that desire, that earnestness, that, that eagerness to seek God early? When you look at your priority in regards to your relationship with God, where is it at? Right? You can spend hours and hours watching on Netflix or whatever shows, whatever games that you find yourself into or whatever activities that you may have. Right? I mean, just yesterday morning, I, I, I went out with my, with my brothers in Christ. Right? We, I left at my house. I woke up at 4, left my house at 5. So I got time to pray within an hour and that. And then we just, I went there at 5. Right? There's a lot of people that goes out and do all those kind of activities. I've seen people riding their bikes there and whatnot. They wake up early. Whatever activities they... They're okay with waking up early in the morning. But does it have a soul? Do you even long for God or you look forward to being with your friends rather than being with your God at that very moment? Because this is my concern. Right? Even in, in the midst of pandemic, when you look at it, seven months in, in, in where we are in our walk with God, was there any change? Was there any difference? So the question is, my challenge is, do you want to develop a, a desire to know God even more in your life? Or are you content 
where you are in your walk with God. So there's no better way to, to start each day than by earnestly seeking God's face through Bible study, meditation, and, and devout prayer. Amen? Come on, church. Talk to me. Right? Perhaps that's not you. Pastor, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that's not me. I don't agree with you. I don't have that desire. I don't have that eagerness. I don't have that longing the way what you're talking about what, what David is going through. David longs for God and, 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 and therefore David is satisfied with God. God does not hold himself back from those who seek him. Understand that church. As you are seeking God, as you're longing for God, God is not holding back. He, he wants to have that relationship with you. He wants to have that communion with you. Amen? Rather, he, he gives himself to them fully and increasingly fuller ways. That's, verse, that's just the first part of verse 1. The second thing I want us to say is that seek the Lord when thirsty. Seek the Lord when thirsty in verse 1. David's appetite for, for God is expressed by the image of a parched body needing life-giving, life-refreshing water. It says, my soul thirsts for you. I love that. You got to look at verse 1. My, my, my soul thirsts for you. It says, I see, earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I love that attitude of David. It says, my flesh, and in, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David's soul could only be satisfied by the one who said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, Jesus said that. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of what? Living water. In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. The third thing I want us to see is to seek the Lord in the sanctuary in verse 2. So David had a vision of his God similar to that of Isaiah in chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3. Verse 2, it, it says, I have seen you in the sanctuary, in your holy place, and beheld your power and your glory. David did not long or desire the things of God. He, he wanted God. He, he will not violate the first commandment while being tested in the wilderness and, and neither will the greater David the Lord Jesus when he is tempted by the evil one to value the things of God he what in, in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 through 11 in Luke chapter 4 1 through 13 he says I don't want that he confronted the, the devil Satan I don't want any of that I want God himself so David recalls a glorious vision of the Lord at the tabernacle, the holy place, and with resolute soul, here we, we see he shouts for all to hear. He says, I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. I want to see your majesty. I want to see your greatness. So he, David did not hold back. God is not the prisoner of his sanctuary. This, the same God, His God, 
that he fellowship with in the place of worship may be found and enjoyed in the wilderness as well. You see, not just as King David was looking into the temple, into the palace, where they gathered. And the same thing for us church, this, in, 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 our, in our wilderness experience, in, in our trials, in our difficulties, not just those times, even at this time you are looking forward. You are looking forward to worship, to cry out and to worship and not be distracted with anything else, but you're looking, you're looking forward to coming and, and being in His presence. You really have to analyze where your heart is in regards to your relationship with God. Because this is what we see in David. What a wonderful truth. What an amazing truth. The third thing I want us to see is satisfaction in God. In verse 3 to 8. This section can be studied for how David praises God. David wanted God more than life. And he told them and showed them with passionate praise and worship. Man, that's amazing. Look, look, listen. In verse 3 and 5. Look at his affirmation. Your loving kindness has said, grace is better than what? Your love is better than life, God. And his response is what? I will praise you. I will praise you. Listen to this other one. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, fat and abundance. And what is his response? My mouth will praise you with what? with joyful lips. Amen? How many of us this past week praising God and thanking God for how He is how He's providing the healing and the, the answered prayer in the life of our dear sister Queenie? Amen? Amen. How many of you cried out in tears and joy because of what God is able to do? Not just for her, but I'm sure in your own life. In your own ways and how God moved in, in your life and, and just like how David responded. My lips will praise you. When David says that God, God's love is better than life, he, he's taking what is arguably most valuable to him and I hope to us as well. Life itself. And he's putting it in, in perspective. So David voiced to God his all-consuming passion for him and only him. That God is better than life. God alone can satisfy. Life alone, church. There is something even better than life and that is the love of God. The word he uses, said, which is often translated loving kindness or covenant love. It stresses the faithful continuance of God's love. Why, right? when we think about God's faithfulness, we sing in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, right? That's what it's talking about. God's love is continuing. God's love is steady and unchangeable, which is why it is better than even the best thing in life, which is life in itself. Life itself can be lost. Even though we value it and try to protect it at all costs. However, the covenant love God never be lost. The apostle wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. L listen, go back to Romans 8. We read this earlier on in Romans 8. 
I had to turn there and I want you to see in verse 38 of chapter 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Most people do not even know that it is God their souls truly desire. They are seeking satisfaction in other things. Others know God, but do not cultivate His presence. They, they do not long after Him. We, we simply add God onto all sorts of other people and things we love in our lives. Health, family, work, money, success, sex, sports, exercise, food, and a host of other things. Is it not this above everything that explains the weakness of the contemporary church? Is it not this that makes us hollow spiritually? When we desire more things besides God, then you're, you're in trouble. When you desire more things, when you desire your activities more than God, you are in trouble. I don't know what kind of Christian you are. You, you really have to ask yourself. Sure, we'd say we believe in God, or we'll even say we worship God, but the question is, do we want God more than we want anyone or anything else in the world? Do we want God more than we want our spouse or even our children? Do we want time with God more than we want an extra hour of sleep or exercise or so many other things we spend our days doing? Do we want God's glory in the world more than we want more comfort in the world? Do we want God's glory more than we want our money? See, when, when we want these things more than God, that may be a sign that we don't realize the greatness of His love for us. Stop for a moment and really let it sink in your hearts and mind. When you really desire more, those things more than your relationship with God, you, you, you're in trouble. I want to be frank with you because you don't really understand how great how faithful God's love is we are after all talking about the God of the universe who is infinitely more beautiful and satisfying than anyone or anything in the world right I was talking to one of my brother yesterday during our fellowship and you know one thing that he mentioned uh, his wife went through cancer also, uh, breast cancer, you know, as he was sharing, you know, and, and there are some people that will make commitment, they'll promise to God, God, if you, if you just let me get me out of this mess, I will make a recommitment of following you. I will long for you. I will find satisfaction in you. But when, everything, when God provides that answer, when God shows His faithfulness, and then a month or two later, even less than that, you turn around and you forget about God, you forget about reading your Bible, you forget about going to Bible study, you, you don't have that. It was superficial in the first place. Listen to one of your favorite pastors, author, speaker, John Piper says at this point, David wanted God more than he wanted life. 
And if you want God more than you want life, then you want God more than you want all the joys of this life. Family, health, food, friendship, sexual relations, job satisfaction, productivity, books, skateboards, computers, Netflix, music, home, sunset, four colors. When David says that the love of God is better than life and therefore better than all the beauty that life means, he's not denying that all these good things come from the love of God. He's warning us rather that if our hearts settle, even gratefully, on the beauty of the gift and do not yearn for the infinitely greater beauty of the giver, then we are idolaters and not worshipers of God. Did you hear that? He continues, I wonder whether this is why we cannot do without the wilderness experiences of life. If all of life were a paradise, and so many people think it should be as so many try to make it, then would we not much more often become addicted to savoring the gifts of God rather than God? Surely that is why Jesus said it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And surely that is why he takes his love once again and again through the desert fires. He would disenchant us with the world and give us a taste for eternity. See, church, these are not bad things. But they, but they need to be kept in perspective. How much more should we have strong affection for the worship of Almighty God? We should also remember that this kind of love and affection for God is not driven by obligation. True love is driven by what? By passion. It is not that we must worship God, but rather that we want to. God is honored by heart-captivating, mind-accelerating, breathtaking, and awe-inspiring worship. You're not coming here out of the obligation because your pastor asked you to. You're here because you want to worship God. You want to meet with God. Amen? But you need to search your heart. If your Bible reading, if your prayer time, and if your fellowship, if even coming to prayer meeting or even Bible study is an obligation, you need to check your heart. You need to repent before a holy God. Because God is great. And greatly to be praised. This kind of worship not only glorifies Him, but also satisfies us. People who realize the greatness of God's love do not view worship as their duty. They view it as their delight. That's one of John Piper's favorite words, delight. Psalms 37 verse 4, the word delight is so strong in there. In verse 4, praise Him with uplifted hands. David uses not only his mouth to praise God, he also uses his body, in particular his what? His hands. Many believers de debate the merit of raising hands to God in worship. Right? Praise God. In some churches, hey, you can't raise your hands. Right? Some are not completely comfortable with the practice. However, let us not fall into the error of denying that it is biblical. The scriptural witness is far too abundant. Verse 4 says, I will bless you as long as I live in your, in your name. I will what? I will lift up my hands. I mean, turn with me 
to different chapters of Psalms. Chapter 28, verse 1. I want to give you a biblical reason. I want to encourage you to raise your hands. Amen? Let's go. Psalms 28, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. He be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down. Wait, that's not it. Verse 2. He, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when, when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. 88 verse 9. Chapter 88 verse 9. I hope I got this one this time. 88 verse 9. Yes. My eyes grow dim through sorrow every day. I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Psalms 119. 119 verse 48 I will lift up my hands toward your commandment which I love I will meditate on your statutes and more Psalm 134 verse 2 if you're writing notes Psalm 141 verses 1 and 2 Psalm 143 verse 6 2nd Chronicles chapter 6 verse 12 and 13 Ezra chapter 9 verse 5 says and at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak are uh, torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God Ezra 9 5 Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 6 and Ezra blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered amen amen lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Lamentation chapter 3 verse 41. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. I desire that in every place the man should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. One person's capture uh, the power of our hands to communicate when he says our hands speaks loudly. Listen. When angry, we cleanse our fists, threatening harm to others. When guilty, we hide our hands or, or, or hold incriminating evidence from view. When uneasy, we sit on them to obscure our inner selves. When worried, we, we compress them. When afraid, we use them to cover our face or hold tightly to someone for protection. When desperate, or frustrated, we, we throw them wildly in the air, perhaps also in resignation of dismay. Oh, come on! Now, seriously? When hospitable, we use them to warm resilient those in our presence. When suspicious, we use them to keep someone at bay or perhaps point an accusing finger in their direction. You did it, right? You did it. He then proceeds here, the person says, six things in regards from a sincere heart to worship our Lord with uplifted hands. Because like one who surrenders to a high authority, I yield to God's will and ways and submit to His guidance and power and purpose in my life. It is my way of saying, God, I am yours to do with as you please. Because like one who expresses absolute vulnerability, I say to the Lord, I have nothing to hide. I, I come to you open-handed, 
concealing nothing. My life is yours to search and sanctify. I'm holding nothing back. My heart, soul, spirit, body, and will is an open book to you. Right? You do these things with your hands. Yes, we may praise Him with, with joyful hands. So it's okay, church, for us to respond, right? Just like what, King, what David did here and encouraged us to do. Let us worship God with our hands. Amen? Let's worship Him. Let's praise Him with joyful hands. Verses 6 and 7, know that He is your helper. David remember the Lord's loving kindness in verse 3 as he lies down to sleep. The Lord is the first thing that he wants to think about in the morning. And the last thing he wants to think about in the evening before going to sleep. What do you think about when you wake up in the morning? Or when you go to bed, what do you think about? Recall, recalling God's goodness and graciousness in his life David meditates on God in the night watches. Throughout the night it is the idea. As the hours pass and I drift in and out of sleep, I think about you. I remember you. I meditate on you. See, he was not thinking about why he was stuck in his wilderness. Why his son was doing all the things to him? Why, why, why Absalom wants the throne for himself? He wasn't thinking about fighting back. He didn't want to hurt his son. You got to read the whole chapters, church. Because Absalom, let me give you a, um, a spoiler alert here. Absalom died. But David, with a father's heart, when the moment he heard that his son died, he, he cried. He prayed. You see, in the midst of his wilderness, he wasn't looking for revenge. That's my throne. God gave me that throne. No, he was thinking about, Lord, I'm, he's thinking about his God, how great God is. Before he goes to sleep, even when he wakes up, right? He's thinking there. Thank you, Lord, for another day. I'm breathing. I'm here. I can feel my hands and my feet. I can sit. I can kneel before you in prayer. This attitude, church. Listen, listen. That He is your protector. Right? L listen to what David says when he meditates. Why? Because you have been my help. You, you have protected me from Goliath. You have protected me from Saul. You have protected me from Absalom. You have provided for me in the battle, the cave, and the wilderness. So David, despite of his situation, he's thinking, he's meditating on God. So therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. In the cool shadow and, and protective shelter of your mighty wing, I will rejoice. I will sing for joy. In verse 8, the theme of God's protection finds further development in verse 8 because there is protection and safety in the shadow of God. So when David says, my soul follows close behind you, literally, it is cleave my soul after you. 
Right, you, you look at verse 8. My soul clings to you, your right hand. The word cling or cleave is a word used at the joining of a husband and wife in marriage. What do you, for those husband and wife, where do you see that? What book? Genesis, right? That you are to what? When you get married, you are to cleave. You're not to hold and cleave with your parents. You are to cleave with your wife or your husband. Amen? And I, that's problem when, when the child, an adult child, still clinging and cleaving to his parents. You're not called. Then don't get married if you're going to cling and cleave to your, to your parents. Because you're not ready yet. <clears throat> look, look at this. Remember in the case of Naomi and Ruth? Right? That's the word cleave. <coughs> and how, Ruth, and how Na, Ruth says, you know, I'm going to cling, I'm going to hold on to you, uh, mother-in-law. I'm going to go where, where, where you go. I'm going to follow your God. Right? <coughs> if you have been satisfied by God, isn't it true that you will want to cling to Him too? How many of you are satisfied with God? How many of you are clinging to God? How many of you are cleaving to God, church? Listen, listen. It's so important for us, when you understand the greatness of God, that you find satisfaction in God, that you're holding on, right? Despite of the trials, in spite of the difficulties, whatever you, situation you find yourself in, you are holding, you are clinging to God. Right? I love when my wife and I are walking on the streets, man. You know, we're just like holding, just clinging together. We're cleaving. Yes. Right? Even at home, I, I, I love to cling to my wife. Right? I'm the one clinging to her. You, you hear that? And that's okay. But that has to be your relationship with God. When you know that you're longing, you're desiring, you're delighting, before a holy God in His greatness, you don't want to let go. You find satisfaction in that. Right? How many of you got your cell phone? How many of you are clinging to your cell phone? Come on, church, speak to me. You go crazy the moment you leave your phone down. Because this phone is, satisfies me. My Netflix is there. Don't take it out. You take it out from your children and see what happened. It's World War III. Right? Because we taught our children to what? Talk to me. To cling to this device. Instead of clinging to us. We, we find a lot of parents nowadays, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that. At the early age, I didn't have iPhone, I have Android devices, right? I have small computers, and like, okay, stay there and watch, we'll, we'll, we'll watch shows. That has to stop. That has to gradually stop and not, not for them to long for it, right? When you have family dinner at home and you know that your children is holding to that device, there's a problem, amen? Because this is what they see. They don't want relationship. They're not clinging and cleaving to that relationship. They, they, they want this. They want to have a relationship for the device with other people.
Listen, listen, and this is the reason why David is, is clinging to him. See, if you're not clinging to him, perhaps it is because you have never sought him enough to be truly and deeply satisfied. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. It's so good. If you're not clinging to God, perhaps it is because you have never sought him enough to be truly and deeply, deeply satisfied. See, there's a problem if you're not clinging to your spouse, right? If you're, if you're married today. There's a problem if you're not clinging to your wife because maybe there's someone else. Oh, be careful, right? Maybe your heart is somewhere else. Maybe it's on a, a screen that you've been looking at for all these years that you find satisfaction in rather than the satisfaction of the wife that God gave you. Or vice versa. The idea is simple. David will not let go of God no matter what. Why? Because your right hand upholds me. I can cling and cleave to you in confidence because it is you who is holding me. I cling to you as you hold me. John chapter 10 verse 27 to 29. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand my father was given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands point number four and last vindication by God in verses 9 through 11 those who seek to destroy David will themselves be destroyed. They, they will themselves find their end in a grave. Those who pursue David with a sword shall themselves feel the steel of the blade and meet their end. Sadly, their end is to be food for jackals, the wild scavengers of the desert. They, they drove David into the desert only to find their destiny in that horrible and barren place. Another spoiler alert. Those people who pursued David, guess what happened to them? They died. Even their leader, Absalom. So, God will vindicate for you no matter what difficulties or challenges that you find yourself in. So David says in verse 11 here, he rejoiced in the deliverance of God. So in contrast to those who lie with the tongue, David and those like him who are satisfied in the Lord, honor God with theirs. The king will rejoice in God. He will tell the world he is satisfied in his God. Listen to this. The longest conclusion I want to give you, church. John Piper is right. The deepest longing of the human heart is to know and enjoy the glory of God. We were made for this. Amen. Father, whatever it takes, Lord, increase our delight in you as the greatest treasure of our hearts. Whatever it takes, Father, Jehovah, Lord, increase our resolve to pursue only what you call me to do and deliver us from the fragmenting effect of fruitless distraction. 
Father, when we look at our priorities, when we look at where we are in our hearts, in our relationship with you, when we look at what is our love, that I pray that you would provoke us, that you would convict us, Lord, that we would turn to you, that we would find satisfaction in you and you alone. Despite of the trials, despite of, of the affliction, despite of the difficulties, even in this pandemic, Father, we pray that we will find satisfaction in you. Oh God, I pray that you would rekindle, that you would rekindle the fire that was, that was in there, in our hearts, Lord. We thank you that fire is not gone, but it needs to be rekindled by you and only you. God, I pray that you would do a work in our church today. Father, I'm not sure where they are in their priorities, their perspective. Perhaps their walk with you has plateaued. Perhaps their walk with you is up and down. God, wherever we find ourselves in, I pray, Father, may we be like David, who earnestly, who eagerly seek you early in the morning. God, show us those things that are idols in our hearts today, that we haven't found ourselves being a worshiper, Rather, we have been an idolaters. That we have set you aside because we find satisfaction in these things. It's never too late, church. Wherever you find yourself in today, stop playing church altogether. Stop being all religious altogether. Find your satisfaction and your delight in our God who is great above all things. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be honored. He is worthy to be praised with our lips, with our hands lifted up. To recall His goodness and His kindness before we go to bed. And even when we wake up in the morning, we, we are thinking about God. We're thinking about how mighty and how amazing and how faithful Christ is and that our desire throughout the day is to magnify, to make much of our Savior. God, I pray for those who are weary, for those who are tired and they can't find themselves to get up to have the desire and to have the longing, I pray by your Spirit that you would do a work, Father, tonight at this very hour. God, move. Move in their hearts. That we are not superficial in our faith. That our Christianity is not fake. That we're not wearing any mask that we are real that when we are able to forgive we are able to love despite of the differences 
because you love us. God, I pray for all those things that you would be honored. God, even as we prepare for our time in our hearts in worship of communion before you, as we take the Lord's Supper, remind us of the beauty of the cross. All I have is Christ. Remind us of the beauty and the power of the gospel to transform our lives. Not because of what we have done or what we have committed to, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. It is finished. And so Lord, may this be an opportunity for us to humble ourselves as we take communion together. Let us continue in attitude of prayer as we, as Daniela played this song. As we think about the Lord's Supper, make it, let, let us not make it another celebration of religious works, but that we're intimately, intentionally recalling the goodness of our God and how much He has forgiven us and how He longs for our fellowship. James reminds us as we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. Use this time in prayer, church. Wherever you may be, at home or here, bow your heads, find yourself in a worship a worshipful heart, kneel if you have to, confess your sins, and it's a must that you confess. This time of communion is a time of reflection of who God is in your life. For those who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord, please let, let, the, let this communion, this element pass you. Do not stand up and walk in here. And, and if you are a follower of Christ, wherever you're sitting, confess your sins. Rem recall His kindness and His faithfulness in your life. Jesus is more than enough in your life. Meet with Him in prayer.